Hello everyone, Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14-yard NFL podcast. Yes, welcome in everybody. We've reached week number 10 already of the NFL season. How on earth have we got to double digits already? Um, But we're here to review what happened in week number nine. Uh, There is still one undefeated team in week nine, so I'm delighted to welcome in Steve, who's smiling from ear to ear as his Eagles remain undefeated. How you doing, buddy? They do indeed. Yeah, I didn't think it would last this long, but I also didn't think that the uh, the Bills would give up a game. So this thing is starting to get interesting. I think we've reached the stage of the season now where you can see who's contenders and who's pretenders and which teams are evidently tanking and which teams are sacking head coaches and apparently appointing people that have never coached a single game in their entire <laughs> lives. So we are at that part of the season, ladies and gents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll touch on that when we get there because that was a bit of a, a shocker to say mm-hmm. the least. And uh, Josh is still off this week, um, should hopefully be back with us next week, but we bring in off the substitute bench a more than able replacement to welcome back in after a couple of appearances a few weeks ago. James, how you doing, buddy? I'm back. Yeah, no, glad to be back. Glad to be able to have a good good NFL matter. Indeed, mate. Me and you are both happy because our teams didn't lose this weekend. The fact we didn't play will gloss over, but we certainly didn't lose, mate. So it's always a, a good week when you're on the bye week can uh, not ruin your Sunday. Let's start, though, with um, Thursday, because that's when the Eagles did indeed suit up. Um, won't mention too much about it, because, like I say, Thursday night football seems a long, long time ago now. But 29-17, Steve, um, it was probably a little bit more competitive than most people probably thought going into this one. I mean, the Eagles have generally scored big early and then have sort of almost protected those leads in the second half. But, you know, basically a touchdown per quarter in this one. Um, a pretty good all-round display, but like I say, a little bit of signs of life from the from the Texans after a few poor weeks from them as well. Yeah, I think I, this was it was a bit of a shock. I didn't think that the Eagles would roll over the Texans because I think that's just generally difficult to do in the NFL. And although the Texans are not a great side, they they put up more of a fight than I thought they would, and they just they just abused the run game. And Damian Pierce is a real talent. He he ran for 139 yards and averaged just over five five a carry and. Looks good. And Eagles uh, losing Jordan Davis last week, the big nose tackle they drafted in the first round out of Georgia. Um, his his loss was felt and they just they really struggled to stop the run. And no matter what um, Jonathan Gannon was trying to do, the defensive coordinator, the, the Houston Texans actually really had a lot of answers for it. And when they went into half, the half at 14 apiece, after Jake Elliott missed the field goal, I sort of was a bit worried. I was a bit like, you know, bloody hell, like the first loss of the season. I, I expect the Eagles to lose one, but to the Texans, like, come on, guys. But no, in the second half, the Eagles picked up and they and they, they put the game to bed. And realistically, I don't, I think if you watch it back, the Eagles were never really in doubt of losing that game. Um, uh, Davis Mills started quite well, but through by the end of the game, had thrown two picks. Another interception for CJ, uh, GJ, um, fifth of the season. He now stands atop the NFL by himself with five on the season. 
Um, and just yeah, sort of another solid performance from Jalen Hurts, who continues to to get MVP chatter because you know he's just playing really, really well. And one thing I will just say quickly on Hurts because I haven't really spoken about him too much this season is that the reason the Eagles are doing so well and the reason that they are still eight and all is because he's just not turning the ball over. Now I know he did it first first possession of the game or second possession of the game, and he did fumble it, but that was a missed block from the left from the left tackle Milata, and he and he just wasn't expecting the hit. But apart from that, he just doesn't turn the ball over. And I've, I, it's been such a long time since I've watched an Eagles quarterback who'd be like that. And we had Carson Wentz not long ago, and we all know what he's like with the ball. <laughs> um, so it's just they're plus 15 on the turnover battle, and the next best team is plus six. That's how crazy the difference is at the moment, and that's why Philadelphia is still unbeaten. So, yeah, a solid win. You you know, any win's a good win in the NFL. Um, and on to the Commanders next week. Yeah, we do keep mentioning it, don't we? That schedule, very, very favourable. Um, it's obviously very, very difficult to go that full season. Um, but certainly on paper, looking like a, a certain possibility anyway. Um, let's move into Sunday then, James, and bring you in. Um, let's go with the Chargers and the Falcons in one of the tastier matchups in the early window. And the Chargers found a way to get it done. It, it seems to be a bit of the MO for the Chargers this year. I think everyone expects them to be a little bit of a juggernaut. They haven't quite really managed to get out of second or third gear. They seem to just be chugging along, finding ways to win games. But that's not necessarily something we've always been able to say about the Chargers. In years gone past, this would be the type of game that they probably would have lost 20 points to 17. And when, you know, on the last play or penultimate play of the game, Austin Eckler fumbled that ball, you sort of thought, oh my God, here we go. Typical, typical Chargers. But, you know, they managed to obviously recover the situation. Cameron Dickenard in the field goal, um, to win it as time expired. Um, but these are two teams that, like I say, similar in terms of their records, similar in terms of the way most of their games seem to go. It was quite an entertaining one, considering it was quite low scoring, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's one of those strange ones. The team, the Chargers nowadays tend to be, you know, reliant heavily on Austin Eckler, but that's because it's working. And he just seems to actually be, durable at the moment, which is, you know, more can, can be said for a lot of other running backs in the league at the moment. Um, I mean, also, it doesn't help when your number one and number two wide receivers are out and have been for some considerable time, really. Um, but Josh Palmer did step up and do a good job in that game. He managed to get 106 yards on eight receptions. So there is still, they've got depth up there, which I didn't think I didn't think that at the beginning of the season, in all honesty, and they just seem to have proven they can sort of grind it out. All throughout the season, the story has just been injuries. Uh, you know, we had, we had the start of the season where Herbert was missing or at least, you know, missing or hobbled. The defense was looking like, you know, one of those, ooh, they could be sneaky top five defense, and then they lost probably three of their key pieces throughout time, and just somehow they just kept it going to the point where – when I was on a few weeks ago, we were talking about, you know, will there, will there only be one team come out of their division? And I think I said then the Chargers was the one I would sort of see getting back into the race. And I think they're still very much in the race. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They're definitely still in the race, particularly, like you say, with that record. And they are just finding ways to get it done. Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned in terms of Justin Herbert, but certainly statistically... <laughs> A few things that he's down on this year in terms of, you know, his rating, in terms of his yards per attempt, those type of things. But like you say, you probably can't overlook the fact that he's playing with, you know, certainly the third and fourth receiver on the depth chart, sort of really having to step up, which, as you say, Josh Palmer 
certainly did this week. Um, Steve, in terms of the Falcons, I mean, that's a crazy division, as we've talked about, in terms of the NFC South. Um, they might look at this as one that got away. Um, you know, but again, could Errol Patterson back into the lineup, manage to get himself into the end zone on a couple of occasions? But, you know, we mentioned for the Texans, you know, their rookie running back. And in terms of for the Falcons, Tyler Algier seems to have all of a sudden come out of nowhere. And he seems to be having himself a, a nice few games back to back all of a sudden as well. Yeah, 10 carries, 99 yards, you know, almost 10 yards a carry. You, you take that efficiency all day. You just keep feeding him the ball. Like, okay, if you're going to do that every time, we'll, we'll keep doing it. You know, that's an incredible efficiency. A first down on every single carry that, you know, <laughs> take that, take that every every single time. Um, but yeah, I think that obviously they just couldn't get thing too much going through the air. You know, um, Carl Pitts was their highest receiver with 27 yards. Like, you know, when that's your highest um, receiving um threat then you know there's something going on in the air and mario has looked good in flashes this year i think he is what he is he's a, he's a quarterback with a ceiling he's not going to win you a super bowl he's probably enough for them to be on a on a sort of uh, transition year um and it's it's just a case of of you know do they when because i've heard some interesting chat this week about when do the falcons consider putting ridder in because obviously they picked up desmond ridder in the draft who was a quarterback uh, know that he intrigued a, a few of our guys on the college side um and it, you know when do you start thinking about putting him in even just to see what you've got you know what you've got in Mariota. we all know what Mariota is he's got a bit of a threat with his legs um he's a bit um a bit of a ceiling with his arm do you try and, and put um ridder in and see what he's got i mean they're, they're four and five now they're obviously i think they're tied for, for the lead in in the uh in the south with the with the books now after the books managed to, to finally win a game um, but yeah, like you say, that that division's wide open. Uh, I don't think anyone would have predicted the Falcons could be uh, could be um, leading the division after week nine. Uh, you know, I think most of us probably would have had them at two and seven, or maybe even one and eight with that roster. I, I, I think I certainly had them up there for number one pick comp, um, uh, up there for for April next year. But yeah, I mean they they've they've got good pieces. That's the thing. You know, Carl Pitts is a is a solid receiver. Drake London obviously had a bit, bit of an injury scare, but seems to be okay and, and had a few catches in this game. Um, as you just mentioned there, James, as well, uh, Algier was was second on the depth chart in terms of, of receiving yards with 24. So if you if you go into one guy constantly um, and no one else is really getting involved in the game, then they've got to, sh- to switch that up. But yeah, Atlanta's definitely not out of it this season. They've, they've definitely still got something to play for because that NFC South is, is absolutely wide open. It most certainly is. Probably the tightest division, though, is the AFC East and the Miami Dolphins back in the win column again this week. Just seems as though Tua Tonga Violoa just wins football games. Um, James, you're a big fancy football player. How pleased would you be if you had a dynasty team that you had Tyreek Hill already when he was a member of the Chiefs and you took Jalen Waddle with one of your picks last year? I mean, you must be in dreamland because, again, those two just churning out the yards, churning out the touchdowns. This is just a you know a, a massively explosive offence. Certainly there's question marks on the defence, and we'll come to that in a little bit, but certainly from an offensive point of view. I mean, this Tyreek Hill trade, yes, it was a big price, but it surely worked out better than almost anybody anticipated it would do. I, I'm still in, in somewhat disbelief at how well in fantasy land having two effectively like two wide receiver ones essentially you can have hill or waddle in your team 
and you kind of you don't care about you know oh should i play one or the other it's like no if you own both you play both and you reap the rewards of it and as one of the people who sort of in fantasy invested heavily in Tua early on in this fantasy season um that has also been reaping its benefits although obviously injuries aside but and concussions aside but it's it's a roster that offensively is just seemingly set up. You just know you know what to expect, but you still can't stop it, which is is you know the worst thing for defenses to have to come up against. Just pure speed, and then still having the reach and the capability to be able to grab the ball as well. And I actually sneaky quite like the trade they did at the very end of the window for Jeff Wilson from the 49ers. I mean, he very much was you know with CMC going there, he was surplus to requirements, but he'd proven that he was very good you know, alternative backup running back, but equally a good pass catching running back over the many seasons before. And he's just slotted seamlessly into there doing all the things that I think they secretly wanted Chase Edmonds to do and couldn't. So the way that they've, you know, turned that roster around with all the trades and then having Wilson and Mostert as two solid running backs, it's it's hard to pick fault until you look at the defense. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, we will come on to that that defensive side of the ball shortly. Steve, we'll just let you get your two pennies worth in in terms of Tyree Kill in particular. Um, he's already up at 1,100 yards receiving on the year, so he's certainly on pace to completely obliterate his previous best, which was 1,479 back in 2018. I suppose the only thing really that is, is a slight surprise is actually the volume of receiving touchdowns isn't that high, considering all of the... The catches he's had, he's only actually had three touchdowns on the year. Um, first time he'd found the end zone in terms of receiving, at least it's all the way back in week number two. So good to obviously get him back in the end zone. But like I say, the, this, this sort of three-pronged attack, if you like, of, of Tua and the two guys on the outside, you know, it really is exciting if you're a Miami fan on that side of the ball, isn't it? Yeah, I think you, you uh, James, hit the nail on the head. It's that it's the it's the speed, but it's the double speed that's the the threat. Because having a having a receiver that can take the top of a defense is is obviously impressive to have, and that's something that every team wants to have. Because if you can spread the field and have the safety and maybe a cornerback covering a speed receiver, then that opens up the middle of the field for your for your short routes, your short completions, to your tight ends, to your slot receivers. You know, you pick up those first downs. But if you've got two guys doing that, if you've got two guys that can spread the field and then you've got both safeties each covering one, then that opens up so much of the center of the field. And, and it makes you think like, you know, if you in, in your mind, if you if you plan out this defense and you scheme up this defense, if you have both of those guys going deep, obviously, they're obviously not both going to go deep every single player. You'd think that more would be getting involved. And do you know what really surprised me this year is Gasicki's not got a bigger role. It really, really surprises me that he's not more involved. Um, but with, with these two, the, you know, this is the thing. They're both so fast. They're both so good. They can both really catch the ball as well. Like, they don't really have any flaws. Um, Waddle is, like you said, James, is a, is, a, is a bona fide number one receiver in any team. He just happens to be behind Tyree Kill, who's one of the best and quickest in the league. Um, you know, and I think if, if, you, if you had to rank the receivers in the league, if you had a top five, there's definitely an argument to have both of these in the top five, you know, which is, which is incredible for any one team to have. But but you know you've got to, you've got to give it to Tua as well. Like you know we all had our reservations around him. Um, you know I think a lot of a lot of fans, certainly in Miami, after the whole tank for Tua thing, you know when they finally picked him up and he had that really disappointing season, a lot of people were sort of ready to give up on him. But 
in I think I mentioned last week he was ten and one in games he started since he's um, uh, over the last season and a bit, um, and obviously missing that those injury games that he wasn't involved in, and that, that means, that's now eleven and one, which is what a record. That's, I don't think any other quarterback's got that record apart from really Jalen Hurts. So you know he's 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 given the business. The Dolphins are now six and three, and you know especially the Bills have got to start thinking like these Dolphins are legit like they are really on our tails and if they slip up again like they did against the Jets like the Dolphins will take advantage of that and they'll they'll come at them so yeah this this AFC East is a real fascinating one one I didn't expect as well yeah most definitely I certainly didn't think we expected to pan out this way but let's let's talk because we mentioned it a couple of times about that defensive side of the ball 27 points they gave up to the Lions the previous week 32 points to the Chicago Bears this week which in itself is, is a surprising one Shout out, I suppose, to Justin Fields putting up the most rushing yards by a quarterback in regular season history in a game. 178 rushing yards for Justin Fields. Uh, outrushed what he passed for, but that's probably not too much of a surprise. There were actually three passing touchdowns in there, though. Um, I think, obviously, we know that the Bears are in a bit of a rebuild here. They've obviously picked up Chase Claypool, who, you know, obviously had his first action for them. He had six targets, but, you know, certainly didn't really trouble the stat sheet, but we probably can't really talk too much more about this game without calling into question the the officiating in this one, because there were two examples here, wasn't there, of pass interference, which I've got to be honest, is becoming a real bugbear of mine. It's a little bit like VAR in Premier League football. It seems as though you can get two incidents that are almost identical, or sometimes one is given and you sort of look at it and say, mm, yeah, probably I can understand why they've given it. And then you look at another one, which seems more blatant and it doesn't get given. Um, and that was certainly the case here, wasn't it? The Dolphins really on the right side of both of these calls, James. And, you know, I think in terms of Chicago, they'll be looking at this one thinking, well, actually, on a different day with a different officiating crew, we'd have come out of this with a win and somehow the Bears would have actually been sitting at 500. They, they, they're sneakily having a pretty decent season themselves, despite everybody still sort of with this narrative that they're just not that good of a team. In some ways, I, I still struggle to make sense both of the officiating, but equally the Bears' record. <laughs> and just the fact that you, you look at it and you go, say, like my fantasy world, the Bears had minus four, which you can put down to you're playing the Dolphins. But their defence has been sort of decent enough this season that it's been, you know, tying them by. Their offence has been non-existent. And then Justin Fields decides... Uh, I'm starting to wonder if he's just turned off the headset and he's just sort of said, I'm not going to listen to the play calling or the coaches anymore. I'm just going to do my own thing. I mean, to be fair, Ben Roethlisberger did that for years. But um, <laughs> I think he's... And to be fair, I think I think Matt Canada's making that prove a good idea. But um, I think... Going back to the Bears, um, that yeah, the, some 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 of the decision making every week there is always going to be egregious decision making, and there's always going to be one team that is screwed more than another. And you'd like to think over the course of time that it will even out. That game it very much didn't. It was very much uh, the Bears getting basically shafted on most most bad calls in that one. But it's it's it's. it's I think a lot of people have been saying about, you know, the refs need more accountability. And in many ways, the, the you know, English football, shall we say, has, have had the same problem where, you know, the refs can make a decision, but they don't really have to explain their, you know, thinking afterwards necessarily. And there's a lot more call for that to happen. You know, granted, yeah, they only have to turn the mic on when they actually make the call. Whereas, you know, having that open permanently to sort of hear some of the discussions, you know, 
it wouldn't get rid of much of the problem. In fact, it would probably make it worse now in social media. But it's there's going to have to be something done somewhere at some point, I imagine. Yeah, certainly if they carry on being, like you say, as as, um, as blatant as this one was. I know they experimented with reviewing it a couple of years back and that opened up all sorts of cans of worms. But it is a shame when games that are, are so close and how many games do we see decided by one score or less? It is a real shame, isn't it, when the officiating plays such a part. Uh, we'll move on to the next game. This one certainly wasn't in, um, settled by one score, Steve. This was settled by 21 points. The Cincinnati Bengals 42, the Carolina Panthers 21, 35-0 at halftime. Um, and Joe Mixon had himself quite the day. Um, five total touchdowns for, for Joe Mixon. Um, I suppose the only surprising thing really, Steve, is in the second half, they didn't just make it their absolute mission to get uh, Joe Mixon the record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, he was certainly on, on track for it. And I think if you're a... You're a fantasy guy who's got mixing against you that week. You sort of just give up, don't you? You look at your, you look at the, the opposing team. And you go, well, what's the point? What is even the point? And my team is not even going to equal his points with my entire roster, let alone Joe Mixon. Um, so, I mean, I th the thing with, with games like this is that when it's that one-sided, you know, you start to pull starters. You know, there's no point in getting guys injured when you're up 35 zip, and and I think that's probably what they're more thinking of. And the running back is is such a sort of injury-prone position that there's just no point in risking him. But yeah, it was it wasn't far off. You know, 22 carries, 153 yards, averaging seven yards a carry, four touchdowns on the ground and one in the air. Um, you know, he, had, he certainly did have himself a day. And I was surprised with uh, uh, with the Panthers after their after their impressive performance. Um, the week before, and and I thought that you know maybe this is it was just a bit of a sort of uh, a new coach bounce, shall we say, as you would as you would say in uh, in uh, in our version of football. Um, but I think that yeah, the, the the Panthers know exactly what they are. They they know that this is a a lost season, and it's crazy that their best quarterback is an ex XFL guy um, who you know who um, really really didn't light the world on fire, especially after that that. Uh, passed to DJ Moore uh, last week, came out this week and had, was three for ten with two interceptions, <laughs> with a QBR on ESPN of two point six, <laughs> which is awful. Um, but yeah, it's a routine win for Cincinnati. I think I'm I'm ready now to uh, to dampen my prediction earlier this season of neither Cincinnati or the Rams making the playoffs. I think Cincinnati are, have, have just took a few weeks to warm up and, and get into the rhythm of things. But, you know, they certainly look like a more polished team now. Um, it's not going to be easy that, you know, that, that division with uh, with Baltimore is certainly going to make it tough for them. But, um, yeah, they look like a more polished unit now. Yeah, certainly a yeah. good um, a good bounce-back game for them after defeat to the Browns the previous week. And, uh, yeah, certainly plenty of questions for Carolina. And the continuing surprise package of the season, James, probably resides in Seattle. 31 points to 21 victory over Arizona. Um, Arizona, Steve, I'll, I'll get your take on Cliff Kingsbury shortly because he's surely got to be on the hottest of the hot seats. Um, but, James, I need to talk more about Seattle for me. This is a team that, you know, coming into the season, everybody expected to probably be the basement dwellers in that division. They're now six and three. They're looking really good. Geno Smith's playing some inspired football. Um, you know, another day where he has a rating of over a hundred in terms of his, you know, his quarterback rating. 
Kenneth Walker seems to have added a real extra dimension to this offence that they probably haven't had since Marshawn Lynch was in beast mode. Um, now a fan continues to become a bigger piece of the offence. You know, the, 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 I could keep talking positives here, man. So <laughs> much to like about this Seattle team. Yeah, in in some fantasies, Geno Smith is QB seven, and that is not a phrase I was expecting to say at the beginning of the season. In fact, when we were drafting, we didn't even know Geno Smith was going to be the starter. In fact, most of us thought it was going to be Drew Lock, uh, and they will be pretty pleased that they made the decision that they did. Um, he has been pretty much the difference in sort of you know what is possible to what has happened. Essentially, he's just he has been just probably my surprise of the season, in all honesty. You, you knew the weapons were there in terms of Metcalf and Lockett. You knew, you know, the writing was there before. Will Disley had been, in previous seasons, he had been an exceptional tight end until he got injured, and it was usually about week three or four. And now he's gone a bit longer. They decided, oh, actually, we got Noah Fanta in that trade, didn't we? You know what, let's use him as well. And suddenly, you know, we've unlocked that. Losing, losing Penny might have actually helped them in some respects, in that it's given Walker the chance to own the backfield, get his you know feet under the table and just keep running with it, so to speak. Um, I don't know whether this rumour is true, but I have heard something that this week could be an issue because the Seahawks are playing in Munich in the International Series, but Kenneth Walker doesn't have a passport, I believe. Or at least this is what I've read. So it's, he's, he's questionable due to immigration issues. Is um, I don't know whether that's true. I cannot verify this. Um, but I have read it in more than one location. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. And I have seen in a few leagues, a few of my fantasy leagues, his projection has dropped by half, which is a suggestion that they're not confident he's going to play. Um, so keep an eye on that if you have him in your fantasy team. Because if he doesn't play, Travis Heimer and DJ Dallas will be leading the line in Munich and the fans in Germany might not be so happy. Uh, but he has been sensational throughout the season. And to be fair, a week of rest would probably do him good as well, <laughs> in all fairness. Um, you know, you, you're again, missing the game against the Bucks would probably not be the worst thing in the world for him. Uh, but yeah, it is. It, they have been the surprise package of the season. And... In some respects, I agree with Stephen that I saw the Rams fall from grace. I thought the 49ers would be slightly better than what they are, but uh, no one saw the Seahawks come in like this. Could, could, you, could you imagine that meeting at the end of the game when Pete Carroll's like, right, guys, we're going to be a passport next week. And Kenneth Walker's like, my what? My what? <laughs> my what? But just quickly on the Seahawks, like you, I echo everything you said. Like Geno Smith is playing lights out football. They are. I think he's the comeback player of the year. I think he has to be. Like he's 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 dropped around so many different teams and he's finally slotted in. And what's what's really interesting is the sort of unity they seem to have in Seattle again. Like everyone seems to be rowing in the same direction. And there's lots of different things that people are saying and players are saying where you can just see they're just little subtle digs at Russell Wilson, like little things yeah. they're saying. Like Pete Carroll even said something about you know uh, it's it's good when we're all going in the same direction and there's no. Um, it was something about Geno Smith wearing one of those um, player sheets on his wrist. You know, some quarterbacks wear them to help with the, the play sheet. And um, and the offensive coordinator said that, that Geno Smith had no problem doing that, which is an issue that we we had before. And it was like, they didn't reference him by name, but you just knew that he was a little dig at Russell Wilson. So, yeah, the yeah. Seattle, you know, long may it continue. Indeed, indeed. Let's hope it can continue. In terms of Arizona, though, how long can it continue, Steve? Because three and six yeah. now. 
certainly in danger of missing out on the postseason. We said that we believed at the start of the season it wasn't just a case of making the postseason; it was having a fairly deep postseason run. Um, that's looking like you know more and more of a pipe dream at this moment in time. You know, nothing going again here. You know, less than two hundred yards again for Kyler Murray. DeAndre Hopkins kept quiet, you know, only four receptions. Robbie Anderson, who they traded for, managed to generate minus four receiving yards. Um, you know, there's just questions, questions galore. Um, and, and to be honest, this actually looks like quite a poor roster, really, outside of the one or two superstars that, that sort of are the names that light it up. Yeah, I think if you're an Arizona fan this season, you could be nothing but thoroughly disappointed. Um, you know, last season they went, they started, it was eight and all they went before they lost. And then obviously everything seemed to fall apart from there. And I think, you know, you could see in that team that they were sort of, they were a little bit, not pretenders, but their their, their record was definitely better than their roster suggested. This season, they're just, they're just not performing at all. It's, it's, it's the other way around. They're, they're, record is worse than their roster is like they should be playing better than this and you you look down their roster it's not the most complete roster in the nfl but it's certainly not short of stars you know you look at some of their depth chart kyler murray james connor deandre hopkins rondell moore zach Ertz, you know they've got a decent offensive line you know uh, jj watt on the edge uh, they've got some um good linebackers in isaiah simmons david collins and then you know buddha baker who's one of the best safeties in the game and you know they're just they just they look toothless. Like I, I, obviously this was only one of only two games in the late window. So with red zone you got to see quite a lot of it. And just watching the offense, they just it looked like they just didn't know. And, and Kyler Murray, for someone who's as evasive as he is, he holds onto the ball for so long. And he was sacked a few times where he just like he had so many opportunities. Just get rid of it. Just get you know that's the number one thing they they teach you when you're getting rushed by um, by defensive ends and even on the interior. Like just get rid of the ball if you can get rid of it. You know, live to fight another day. If it means you've got to fall down, you punt away. It's far better than you know losing twenty yards and then having to to punt from almost in your own end zone. So he just he just doesn't seem to be able to get rid of the ball. There's something different there, and it ultimately all falls down on the head coach, and he's going to pay the price. Kingsbury's seat has got to be like a chair of lava right now um, because I don't know how much longer they can continue. I think once they're mathematically gone, which will probably be in a few more weeks yet. Um, because that division's been so um, up and down, it wouldn't surprise me if they pull the trigger because something's got to change in Arizona. Something's got to go. Like the Clingsbury experiment just hasn't quite worked, um, and especially you know, there's you know, if, if I'm if I'm Arizona, I'm I'm looking at Frank Reich and thinking, yeah, I'll definitely take Frank Reich, absolutely. Um, and there's there's guys out there that they could definitely replace him with. There's some coordinators out there that I think will be high on some wish lists of some teams this year. So. Yeah, I think it's a, it's going to be a case of blow it all up again and, and see what they can do. But it wouldn't surprise me if there's a bit of an exodus this season in Arizona this summer. You know, you've got guys like John J. Hopkins who's wasted in Arizona. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if someone comes in and offers something for Buddha Baker, like he's too good to be on that team, not not reaching the playoffs every season. So, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately I think uh, it is a, is a case of not if but when for uh, Kingsbury. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, I don't think he's necessarily on the hot seat yet, but um, do we need to start having a few conversations about Matt LaFleur, James? Because the Green Bay Packers somehow managed to find a way to lose to the Detroit Lions on Sunday. The Lions have been punchy in a number of games this year, but ultimately found different ways to lose the vast majority of them. They've only got one win on the board, despite some of their 
sort of you know decent performances. And it, it was a strange game this one because Green Bay have essentially struggled to move the ball all year. They didn't struggle to move the ball in this one. They nearly racked up 400 yards of offense. But for some reason, Aaron Rodgers decided to throw the ball to the boys in blue more often than the boys in green in this one. So what on earth is going on in Green Bay, mate? I'll be honest, if I knew, I'd be paid more than I am. Um, <laughs> and I'd, I'd not be working for the railways. Um, but essentially, it's... It, this game was weird, but then again, I feel like Green Bay's season has been weird as a general. And to be honest, I think it all started even in preseason when everyone was like looking at their roster again. Where are you getting your wide receivers from? How are you replacing Devontae Adams? How are you going to, you know, Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback, but who is going to be on the other end? And it's like, as time went on, it's like, okay, so you're going to rely on Alan Lazard, the rookies, and Robert Tunyon. And effectively, your offense is two running backs. And as the season's gone on, uh, AJ Dillon has just been nothing, and it's Aaron Jones. And in this game, you knew, you could see that fact because when Aaron Jones went down, it seemed even more toothless than it already had been. And but yeah, even even in a game where you know there was still plenty of passing yards going on, just at the critical moments, he's just not he's not got his Devontae Adams, he's not got his target he trusts in the end zone. He but he still knows he has to pass it to someone. And he's trying to create, I think he's trying to create connections that aren't ready. And has he got the, I don't know if he's got quite the patience anymore to actually, you know, build it up. I know he's been trying to do it um, with with Romeo Dobbs quite a bit in terms of hyping him up in the off season. It's like, he doesn't normally hype up rookies, so this guy must be decent. And he's been trying to pass the ball to him, but losing him on, what was it, the first play or the first drive of the game, I think that, messed with his head because he was like that's the guy i would have probably trust other than lazard and even lazard's been questionable throughout so i think in some ways lefer will probably end up being on a slightly warmer seat than you would expect but i don't think it's necessarily hot because i think he's somewhat snookered by the tools that he's been given and i don't think he's got you know as much control as he would like over the personnel which you know is normal so yeah, it's it's one of those he's probably doing as well as he can. Yeah, 12, 12 different packers targeted in this one, and, and I think that's been the problem, hasn't it? Like you say, you're used to almost seeing the Green Bay stat sheet with twelve to fifteen targets for Devontae Adams and then probably another sort of five to six targets spread out elsewhere. There's actually twelve different players targeted here, including the hilarious one to David Bakhtiari, which Aidan Hutchinson made a phenomenal play on. It's gotta be said that was a fantastic interception, that one. Um, but like I said, Detroit eventually getting back into the wing column. Steve, I think you want to pose me and James a question on Green Bay, so I'll hand you the floor, my friend. Yeah, with with Green Bay, obviously there's so much going on in Green Bay at the moment. They're three and six, you know, that you'd imagine they probably need what nine wins to get into the playoffs on a wild card because they're probably not going to catch Minnesota and nothing so far has shown me they're going to win six more games this season. So you start to ask yourself who's who's blame. Whose door does the blame lie at? And you, I think there's three main candidates. Is it is it Aaron Rodgers? Is it Matt Lafleur? Or is it uh, in the GM's office in Gutekunst? Because I think they could all share a bit of it. But I'd be intrigued to see who, if you're if you're the the owner, the the CEO of the of the Green Bay Packers, who do you pull the trigger on first of the three of them? I mean, in terms of my answer to that, I think this has been a culmination of, of years of questionable and poor drafting. I think we go back to the Jordan Love one as the real standout draft that 
ultimately has done absolutely nothing to help propel this franchise forward. Um, you know, that felt like a wasted draft at the time. It, it even looks worse now somehow than it looked at the time and it looked pretty bad at the time, didn't it? So I think, you know, for me, it's been, you know, years of questionable decisions. I think the I think the thing is now, though, and, you know, I won't say too much on it in case James's answer is Aaron Rodgers, but I think the issue that they will have, however, is you just look at the body language and the demeanour of Aaron Rodgers. Does he... Does he want this fight? Is he actually up for being the quarterback of a team in transition because he's, what, now 39 years of age? I would imagine that when he re-signed his contract, it was with a view to, right, you know, let's have a couple of years crack at trying to get another ring. I think we can all look at Aaron Rodgers' career and say the biggest sort of, you know, surprise in all of it is that there's only been that one appearance in the big dance, you know. That is as much as a surprise as anything. When you look at all of his ridiculously all-worldy numbers in regular season play, the fact that he's only ever got to the big game once is the biggest surprise of all. And he surely would have been coming back with the intention of you know a couple of years to try and, and get it done. I don't see, and I never thought that I would see Tom Brady in a different shirt than a New England Patriot one. I never thought I'd see Aaron Rodgers in a different coloured shirt than a Green Bay one. But I honestly think if Aaron Rodgers is playing next season, I don't think it's for Green Bay because I just don't think he's got I don't think he's got the fight in him at this stage of his career to be in this situation. He wants to go somewhere like Brady did in terms of Tampa Bay, where he's got those weapons. He's not relying on a rookie um, wide receiver, as you mentioned, James, that he was bigging up in the offseason. You know, he's got an established cast of, of, of stars there. Um and, and that's what he would want to do. But, you know, for me, I think the blame falls primarily on, like I say, years of questionable and poor drafting, really relying on the fact that Rodgers was as good as he was to carry the offence and not really addressing it. And now the real sort of superstar wide receiver has gone. Um, you know, it's really started to really illustrate the holes that have been left over a number of years that have been unaddressed, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat in that I, I firmly think it is poor drafting GM side that would be the most to blame. Whether they're the easiest to pull the trigger on is another question. Um, I, I, I genuinely feel sad that in the offseason, there was talk of Aaron Rodgers potentially landing in San Francisco. And if knowing the Trey Lance injury now, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. If he had been there instead of Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, just, just, yeah. Um, any sort of semi fantasy hat on there, I admit, but um, yeah, that would have been, I think, good for his career, good for his health, good for the Niners, good for everything. And the you know, the Packers would actually have had to contemplate the rebuild properly. Um, and they are getting to that point where that R word is going to suddenly start ringing louder and louder. And if you know, the moment that you do jettison him either through retirement or through a trade. He, the the word starts getting capitalised with exclamation marks on the end of it. Um, and I think it's coming. And I do think it could be as soon as the end of this season if they don't make the playoffs. It's interesting as well, isn't it? Because there's, there's the, the, you look at the Russell Wilson trade, that hasn't worked so far for Denver. And they, pay, they paid an absolute king's ransom for him. So there's a number of teams that he could slot in at and they definitely have a better roster than Green Bay's current roster. But 
our team's going to want to do it. Like, you know, he's he's right at the end of his career. He's not been as prolific as Brady has. You know, Brady, off the back of six Super Bowls, went to Tampa and won another one. Like, you know, like you said, Sean, he's been to one Super Bowl in his career, which is a criminal, really. Like, he's so much better than that. But is he anymore? And, you know, you look, I always point to Drew Brees. Drew Brees, right at the end of his career, his arm just went. And that's not showing happening with Rob Rogers yet, but... How long will it take for that to happen? Does a team really want to give up two or three, you know, uh, picks um, if it's going to take that to get him? It's you know, it's an interesting one. But I think I actually do agree. I, th- I never thought I'd see it, but I do agree that I think if he plays anywhere next season, I don't think it's Green Bay. I could imagine. Yeah. I just imagine now the headlines when he gets a trade to the Rams for Stafford in about twenty twenty six first round pick. <laughs> <laughs> so, some some youngster that they that they somehow managed to trade or uh, draft in the first two rounds in a pre, in a recent season, and just saying, yeah, we'll go all out now, and yes. or now, or now, so, sort of situation. It's you watch. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a strange one. I think it's definitely going to be one we're going to monitor throughout the off season because it feels almost like the inevitable is happening. I think you've just hit the nail on the head there, Steve. It's not necessarily that the arm's gone or anything, but you know, I was watching the conclusion of that game, and two years ago, you'd have just said, "Well, he's he's just going to find somebody, and it's going to be a touchdown. It's game over." I never thought for a minute he was going to score. Never thought for a minute he was going to score. Um, no. You know, and obviously they didn't. And like I say, the Lions hung on. Let's uh, let's speed it up a bit, fellas, and whiz through a couple of these now. Uh, the Raiders twenty, the Jags twenty-seven. Nice comeback win here for the Jags, who were down big early. Um, you know, the Raiders were actually up by seventeen points. So a really good turnaround from Jacksonville. They've been another team that's been punching a number of games and have found ways to lose them. Obviously found a way to get this one done. Just a quick mention on um, this game, James, I'll come to you because I know the other half is a Jags fan. She must be pleased with what she's seen from Travis Etienne since he's been uh, definitely been given the backfield. I mean, she's a fantasy player like me and she she knew she wanted Etienne where she could get him. And yeah, as soon as that James Robinson trade went down, and even to be fair, the weeks up in the build-up to that trade in many respects where it was clear the backfield was shifting towards Etienne, and as soon as he proved himself, he was away. Um, he's so long as he's able to stay healthy, he is going to be a problem for a lot of defenses. And I think, I think this is the last season where you see the Jags being doubted, so to speak. I think that the signs are there. They're not losing. They're not getting blown out particularly often. They are well in games. They should probably be on better record than three and six, but they are in many respects okay to sort of subpar this season because they know they've got good times ahead. And I think we've all said it before how that one season under over Meyer was effectively like a, a zero season. You couldn't count that as Lawrence's rookie year at all. In many ways, this is that rookie year now. And I think, you know, you've had one year to set, set the table with Doug Peterson and you can start dining on it next year. And I think that divi- that division looks pretty um, tasty when the Jags really kick into gear because there's a possibility that two of those teams will be in rebuild mode, if not, and the Titans aren't looking so pretty against a Jags team next year, I reckon. Yeah, Just so- put on Pedersen, he did the same, he did the same with Wentz with the, in 
in Philadelphia. He went first season eight and eight. He wasn't amazing. Wentz wasn't expected to start until the last minute trade of Sam Bradford to the to the Vikings. And then um, next season, the Super Bowl season. So Pedersen's got the caliber to do it. I think the Jags just need to learn how to win. I think that's the, the big learn this season. Next season, I agree, they'll be much, much better. And this was a good game for that. This yeah. was the comeback in this one. This was this was this was them learning. Yeah, most definitely. Like I said, they've been competitive, and you know we said in the off season that uh, the Doug Pedersen I could have been one of the the better ones, um, and I think long term it will still certainly prove to be that way. Next game, I want to touch on, and we'll just whiz through it because I've got to be honest, it was a bit of a snooze fest, and we wouldn't have expected it, would we, when we're talking about the books against the Rams? But it wasn't a great game. Two teams that are really struggling, two quarterbacks that are really struggling. Um, but unlike Aaron Rodgers that we just talked about when the game was on the line, Tom Brady did find a way to get it done. Um, his first tight, uh, his first touchdown pass to a tight end this season. When you think of how many he's had in his career to Rob Gronkowski, that's a pretty incredible stat that here we are week nine, and this is the first time he's found a tight end in the end zone with Cade Otten. And who would have expected that to be Cade Otten? Yeah. <laughs> rather, than, rather than Cade yeah, Rather than Cameron Bray or Kyle Rudolph, yeah. <laughs> Alton's actually become quite a good player for them, to be fair. And he's been he's been a fantasy pickup, and he's going to be the future there. But yeah, he's so, such an important milestone here. Yeah, replacing Rob Gronkowski was never, ever going to be easy, was it, whoever did it? But yeah, massive shout out, of course, to yet another phenomenal achievement for Tom Brady. Now over 100,000 yards passing. Uh, I did love that little graphic. I think it was you that shared it, Steve, wasn't it? And uh, yeah. how many players had, had sort of contributed. We mentioned Gronk. He's got the most. I think over 10% of all of those passes went to Gronk. But there's three or four on there that had like one yard receiving. And yeah, that must be uh, must be a nice little thing for them to be able to say, yeah, I, I caught some of those yards from Tom Brady. Wants to tell the grandkids, isn't it? So, <laughs> I was so good there wasn't someone on there with like minus two. No, I don't get it. Got one pass from Brady, and it was for negative yardage. That would have just been you. You are a quiz question for life, my friend. <laughs> the books moved to four and five. The Rams dropped to three and five. So yeah, both still with losing records. Both still with plenty of work ahead of them. Um, although Tampa's division certainly looking a lot more favourable than the situation that the Rams find themselves in. Um, we mentioned it earlier, didn't we, about um, probably one of the biggest stories this week. Frank Reich was under pressure, it's felt like, for the last few weeks in particular. Um, we speculated that he could be one again come the end of the season that might find himself in trouble. Uh, but the Colts have pulled the trigger earlier than expected, probably, Steve, but obviously off the back of a 26-3 defeat to the New England Patriots who, you know, typical sort of game from the Patriots, wasn't it? Just efficient, did what they needed to do, played good defence. Um, the move to bring Sam Ellinger in at quarterback seemed extremely questionable at the time. You'll be very interested to see if they stick with that now or whether they go back to Matt Ryan or not. Um, but this is a Colts team that feels as though it's in a little bit of free fall, to be completely honest. Uh, and the big news, of course, is Jeff Saturday. He's the man that does pick up the interim role. You kind of joked about it earlier. I don't think it's necessarily too much of a surprise that Reich's gone, but, I mean, that's a massive, massive surprise in terms of who they've actually handed the reins over to, particularly when you look at some of the people that are on the staff already there with head coaching yeah. experience. Yeah, exactly. And this was this the right was on the ball when they fired their offensive coordinator a couple of weeks back who didn't have play-calling duties. 
that's just that's just someone taking the flack and it means that the the head coach's time is limited and it just means that you want to make it look like you're giving her a little bit more time but as soon as they find their offensive coordinator Reich's, Reich's time was done this was done um, and it's a shame because I think he is a good coach and a good head coach I think he ultimately and I've seen a lot of people say the same thing ultimately the the responsibility for this team's lack of production this year and the last couple of years shouldn't lie at Frank Reich's door it should be at Chris Ballard's door the, the, the revolving door of quarterbacks in this team and the complete mismanagement of the roster and the, the, they've missed on a few draft picks as well has led to this team becoming bang average. You know, for, for, for a number of years, the Colts were just a, a lock for the for the postseason. They, you know, they, they were never going to potentially go anywhere, but you knew they'd be there or thereabouts. And this season, it's all just fallen apart and, and eventually it had to come back and bite them. And it finally has. And it, Reich... Paying the price, I think, was inevitable. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if Ballard is gone um, before the or by the end of the season or in the off season. Um, I think they they just need to change it up in Indianapolis because this rotating door of quarterbacks is not working. Uh, Matt Ryan is was never the answer. It was and the 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 contract they had to eat up to get him as well was just a bit odd. Um, you know, you look at their receivers room and you wonder where the receivers, you know, you, we mentioned the Miami earlier having two number one receivers. I don't think Indianapolis has got a single number one receiver, let alone two. Um, so there's there's problems all over this roster. And I think Indianapolis is going to go into a couple of years of sort of the, the rebuild, the blow it all up sort of um, mantra. The Jeff Saturday hire is is perplexing. I don't know what is what that's about. I actually asked in the group because I'm I wasn't sure myself if if you need any sort of like badges or, or qualifications or anything to coach in the NFL because in 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 soccer and football you do you, if you want to coach in the Premier League you need to have the UEFA Pro license which takes a long time to get a lot of money and a lot of you know you have to put in the hours to get the badges to prove that you can coach and. I think someone came back and said that you need to have, I think, at least a degree in physical education or something similar, but there's no specific like badges or anything. So they could just hire anyone. And it's just a weird one, isn't it? Yes, he was on their offensive line. And yes, he was a sort of a, a, a franchise legend, if you want to use that word. But with, like you said, with, with the people on the coaching staff already that have head coaching experience, this is just a real weird one. Um, and Colts have got to be up their favourites in terms of being in the top five next season. Then they, they need it. They really do need it because they need a quarterback. They need a number of, of different things. Um, so, yeah, interesting times ahead for, for Indianapolis. Indeed. Patriots move to five and four, and they now complete the set of all teams in that AFC East having winning records. And that brings us nicely, James, to the game that probably produced the biggest surprise of the weekend. I think we mentioned Green Bay and Detroit, but obviously Green Bay have had their struggles. You know, both of these teams, in terms of the Jets and the Bills, came into this obviously with winning records. So maybe it shouldn't be too much of a surprise, but I certainly think it was. Um, the Jets getting this one 20 points to 17. Um, you know, keeping Buffalo to just 17 points in itself seems like a hell of an achievement considering some of the performances that they've been able to put up this season. Um, and the Jets, again, getting the job done on the ground predominantly, playing tough defence. Um, you know, and all of a sudden, we just expected the Buffalo were going to run away with division. You've now got two teams, three teams, sorry, um, with six wins in the division. Um, the Jets, the Dolphins, and of course, the Bills. And I suppose, you know, let's also look at it in terms of the future prospects. News coming out that Josh Allen may have an issue with his elbow. Not sure 
exactly yet what that's going to mean, but certainly various different reports suggest that it's going to probably be at least a couple of weeks to get that rehabbed. Um, you know, so all of a sudden, what seemed like a bit of a cakewalk and a walk in the park to the AFC running through Buffalo, all of a sudden, mate, has it hit a bit of a, a, a bump in the road? Yes. And, I mean, they'll still be fine. And in some ways, I think they're looking ahead towards uh, the games that happened in 2023 more than those in 2022, because even a sort of <clears throat> second or third gear Buffalo is probably still good enough to get to the playoffs, even with the Jets breathing down their neck, which feels like another phrase that just you were not expecting to say this season. But, you know, Josh, Josh Allen has, you know, his injuries, his problems, they could probably even cope without him for a week or two. They are still got a decent roster, but he is obviously the difference maker. Um, but I, I'm not like overly concerned for Buffalo, to be honest. They still, you know, they still have a defense that even when injured is still looking reasonably okay. They've still got weapons all over the shop. And, you know, it's not an injury that's just going to rule him out for multiple weeks or potentially the end of the season. It's, you know, one or two potentially, I think is what I'm hearing. So... That's okay. While the Jets, well, they have sauce. And I mean that as both in terms of they have juice, but they also have Sauce Gardner, who has been exceptional for them. Again, another interception on this one, if I remember correct. Um, but I mean, that defense kept turned up and they, their defense has been maligned quite a lot, both this season and obviously in recent seasons. But two interceptions, five sacks, two false fumbles. And they really were the reason they won this game, in all honesty. Because it's never going to be Zach Wilson as the reason that you win a game. You know, I don't think he's had a game where he's passed for more than 160 yards. Um, actually, no, that's not fair. He did have he did have 355 last week, but um, it it never feels that way sometimes. Um, but it was just one of those games where they had enough in every department just to make it work, and that just feels like the Jets' way at the moment is just. You know, you're not exceptional at anything, but you're just good enough at everything that you can cause what feels like an upset, but it's actually kind of no longer an upset. Um, so there's the signs are there that this Jets team are more for real than we ever thought. Yeah, and and just on the the Jets, Steve, get your view, and I think look, I think we're all in agreement. Buffalo will be will be okay, um, providing that the Allen injury is nothing more than a couple of weeks out. Although that's nice timing with the Browns up in two weeks' time. But anyway, we digress. Um, in terms of the Jets, we just talked about the Colts and rebuilding and, and this, that and the other. The Jets have proven here, haven't they, with an excellent off-season in terms of what they drafted in particular. And it's been a couple of years of really good drafting. How quickly a franchise can turn around. And this is a team that probably feels as though it's ahead of schedule in terms of its rebuild. And some of these key pieces that they've integrated into the offence, you know, in terms of Garrett Wilson... Obviously, he wasn't here this weekend, but Brees Hall, we've mentioned about how much of an impact he's had. Now, this is a young Jets team as well, mate. So, again, future's bright for this franchise as well, surely. Yeah, and and I think with the Jets, it's like, it's about time. Like, it feels like they've been rebuilding for about 10 years. And it was their last, their last postseason appearance was 2011, I think. So, it's about time with this Jets team. And I think, you know, the Robert Salah hire was an interesting one. I think in the first couple of seasons, people were starting to think like, 
is this really working? Is this is this is this actual is this guy going to get us anywhere? But like you said, they absolutely smashed this off season. They they really picked up some good players. Sauce Gardner is is a generational talent already. Like he looks like a lockdown corner in that position for the next sort of you know ten years. But what really impresses me is they got Joe Douglas in from uh, from Philadelphia. It's amazing how many GMs and, and people around the league have come from Harry Roseman's school of, of GMing. It would seem, um, and he's invested in the offensive line. And it's it, you know I bang the drum every week. It's if you invest in the trenches, you will win football games. And you look at their offensive line, the production of their offensive line. Although they've lost Vera Tucker, which is a big loss, um, Mekki Beckton as well for the season, another big loss. But they're, they're, at the moment, their offensive line is holding up. Um, and you know that you look down their roster now, and, and used previously, you'd look down Jets rosters and think, Jesus, is that an actual NFL roster? Whereas now you look down, and you go, wow, that's actually, you know, there's some real, real talent on there, like some real top players. Um, and you think that they're only one or two pieces away from being a legit competitor. And they just happen to be in a division where you've got the Bills and the Dolphins and the Patriots aren't going away any, anywhere either. So, you know, they're in a real tough division. I think a lot of people would have expected the Jets to be another walkover team this year. And they're just not. And I think I, I agree with you, James, is that Zach Wilson's not the reason you win a game, but he is the reason you lose a game. If that makes sense, um, and I think he's—they he, just need a bit more consistent play out of him. And yes, it might take a bit of time. It took Josh Allen three seasons to get into the position he's in, so it, it might take a bit of time. But I think you know, if they if they can't say anything this season, and maybe not next season, they might start to get a bit sort of itchy feet and, and pull the trigger again on someone new. But yeah, good times for Jets fans. They've waited long enough. Indeed, indeed, they have, like you say, is the longest playoff drought in the NFL. Um, and they're certainly at this moment in time, at least, on pace to try and get that record rectified this year. The final game from the earlier window of Sunday is the Vikings improving now up to 7-1 and one and seemingly miles clear now in that NFC North. Um, they beat the Washington Commanders. Typical Vikings fashion, this one, really. You know, just left it till the fourth quarter and then did all the damage. 13 unanswered points to end the game. Seems to have been a bit of the MO recently, doesn't it, that they've been able to start well, then let the other team come back into it and then find a way to get the, the victory in the end. Similar sort of method in this one. Um, and we talked earlier about Green Bay, didn't we, and what difference it makes having a superstar wide receiver. In Justin Jefferson, the Vikings certainly have won seven receptions, 115 yards and a touchdown in this one as they improve, like I say, to seven and one. Um, and certainly, like I say, they will probably be the first team to punch their ticket to the postseason. So although the Eagles are undefeated, certainly in a much more competitive division, uh, the Vikings could well be actually confirmed by the time Thanksgiving rolls around the way things are looking, which would be pretty incredible indeed. Sunday night football then, fellas. Um, Tennessee 17, the Kansas City Chiefs 20. Um, a game where, you know, to be fair, it looked for a long time as though Tennessee had got an answer for the Chiefs. Derrick Henry was having himself a pretty good day up until the fourth quarter. And then for whatever reason, a combination of him being taken out of the game and the Chiefs defence stepping up you know, made a huge difference. But this was a really strange stat line for Patrick Mahomes, wasn't it? 68 attempted passes, 43 completions, 446 yards. Well, the biggest surprise in all of that was that there was only one touchdown, which just seems incredible for that amount of throws. But, Steve, this is a team that... Probably feels a little bit more rounded than it has done 
in years gone by. We've often talked about the Chiefs as this really, you know, offensive juggernaut that will just blow teams away. And if they, you know, you score 30, we'll score 31, that type of mentality. This very much feels like a more rounded side. And I think that came out on Sunday, didn't it? Admittedly, Malik Willis looks a little bit like a rabbit in the headlights. So we can touch a little bit on Tennessee as well. But certainly a, a really, really good victory for the Chiefs. Um, you know, particularly with the results going elsewhere in terms of Buffalo and those type of things, it gets the Chiefs back in in the conversation for potentially that number one seed in the AFC, doesn't it? Yeah, the Chiefs are the Chiefs are not going to go down quietly if they're not going to get this number one seed because this was a reminder of how fun this team is and how fun this offense is. Um, this was Patrick Mahomes just you know opening up the playbook and just doing what he wanted with it almost like he just looked like he was playing such free free flowing football. He's just so fun to watch. Like you just never know what he's going to do. Um, he's so good at extending plays and getting his receivers to do the same thing. And you can see that some of them have come into the team this year, Juju. Um, you know, Valdez Scatling, even Kadarius Tony had a couple of catches. You can see they're starting to to get onto the same sort of wavelength as him, and like he had with Tyree Kill, you know, and um, and they're starting to get that chemistry together. And this offense is just is just very very fun. Um, what interestingly, you know, Travis Kelsey had his typical hundred yards, ten receptions. Juju had a pretty good game as well, eighty eight yards from ten receptions. They spread the ball around quite a lot. Hardman had receptions. Noah Gray had receptions, Jeremy McKinnon had receptions, even Edward Hilaire had a reception as well. Like they spread the ball around a lot, but their rushing line, right? So they had 77 yards rushing from 19 carries, but 63 of those 77 were from Patrick Mahomes. So the running back room between the four of them had 14 yards. What is that? That was odd. That was an odd one that, that, uh, that stood out to me, but. Um, yeah, the, the the defense looks a lot better than last year. Last year they got off that really stuttery side start, but but Spagnola seems to have sort of retooled the, the defense, and they're just playing really really good football at the moment. Um, you know, when you whenever you go into our head, it's always difficult to come up with the win. And uh, I think the Titans have the chances; uh, they they definitely have the chance to, to wrap up the game. But um, you know, another win for the Chiefs, six and two uh, on their roll. Yeah, indeed, James. I want you to talk to me about Tennessee because, like I say, it was. Um... Back to sort of what they did best and have done for the last few weeks now, really, which was run Derrick Henry into the ground and it was proving quite fruitful. But I suppose when you look at what they've actually got in terms of the receivers and what's happening at the quarterback position, it seems pretty much all they have got. And again, they seem to be a little bit fraudulent there, I say. And it always sounds really disrespectful when we talk about Tennessee, but they're leading in that division. You know, but again, they, they don't feel like a five and three team. They feel like they should be a lot worse than that. Um, you know, you, you sort of scratch your head as a neutral as to why on earth they gave up on AJ Brown. I know they obviously got a decent haul for him, but you know, he would certainly make a huge difference. And I know Steve delighted that they uh, parted ways with him. Um, but yeah, he just you've only got to look at this box score from the weekend and you know outside of bobby trees who was targeted but didn't actually catch anything you look at the rest of them and it's like who 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 yeah who? Uh, this the stat gets better if you look in, in the actual um box score not one wide receiver caught a pass in the whole game malik willis had five completions two of them were to running backs one to hilliard one to Haskins. two of them to, to, to austin hooper and one was to Oconquo. Who were both tight ends. So in in this game, five passes, not one of them to a wide receiver. 
it's such a strange thing. It is literally just the Derek Henry show with just a few pieces to act as potential decoys, which you know, you could you could genuinely just stack the box and know that even if they did pass, they're just gonna be so rusty, it's never gonna happen anyway. Um, they really are missing trail on Burks on IR, but he was still getting used to this offense. It bring him back and it still doesn't fix it. Um, Tannehill could potentially be back this week, but does that really change the game either? I don't think it does. Robert Woods has been a horrendous disappointment, for, especially in fantasy leagues, but in, just in general, he's just not looked good at all. And say it's it's just so transparent, the offense. It's ridiculous that... It, the only reason they are 5-3 and three is because they play teams in the AFC South. <laughs> that is pretty much it is that it's just strength of opposition i mean yes if you look drill deep into the record i'm sure it's it's not quite as simple as that but ultimately overall yeah it's just such a strange thing it shouldn't work but it does ish yeah it is a strange one isn't it i think they are well coached in terms of mike Vrabel, but you'd, you'd certainly look at it as a roster that you you, you could find plenty of holes in it and and certainly it feels as though it needs a freshen up in terms of personnel. And, and, you know, in all seriousness, Derrick Henry has been running to the ground over the course of the last few years. And we know what happens with running backs once they reach the end of the road. Um, it's very quickly downhill. So certainly it would feel as though a, a serious amount of work needed to be done in Tennessee in terms of that rebuild. And, and certainly Malik Willis needs, if they're going to, you know, commit to him, He's going to need an awful lot of work because, like I say, at this moment in time, he just doesn't look as though he's, he's NFL calibre and NFL ready at all. Final game of the week, Monday Night Football last night. The Saints 13, the Ravens 27. Um, pretty routine victory this for the Baltimore Ravens. They went up early, went up by uh, two touchdowns, never looked in danger of losing this one. Um, again, not a huge amount through the air in terms of Lamar Jackson, just 133 passing yards. But 82 yards on the ground for him, 93 on the ground for Kenyon Drake. They run the ball over 40 times as an offence, 40 times compared to 22 passing attempts. The Ravens, you know, they're not embarrassed by who they are and what they're good at, and, and fair play to them indeed. I think is it time, Steve, for the Andy Dalton experiment to come to an end? It just feels like, we, you know, we've been here, we've done it, we've seen it in different coloured T-shirts. Surely the Saints know what they've got there, and... Just stick James Winston back in. At least he's fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's it. The, the problem is, is that, that neither of them are, you know, um, eons better than the other. You, they, you get very similar things with either one of them, and I, I think it feels like New Orleans don't really know sort of what direction they want to go in. And I think they've surprised me in that they've got three wins. I thought they'd be a bit worse than this this season. And uh, obviously, there's the news that came out this season, this week, that uh, Michael Thomas won't play again this year because he's got a surgery and a toe injury. I think, and I, I saw those myself. Like, how can a toe injury keep you out for the next ten weeks? That seems odd, but makes you wonder if his time's done. Do you reckon he'll ever pull on a New Orleans shirt again? Probably not. Um, you know, they've had like no production out of him for the last what, like three years. So I think they might call time on him. They, God knows, they need to get some money off their their. Um, uh, their cap because they've got enough of it for the next five seasons or however long they put all these void years on the end of their contracts and 
Yeah, it's just it, it seems like the, the New Orleans is reaching this of point where there's a lot of aging guys on that, on that team that they they're going to need to look at replacing soon. Um, they put so much into winning with Drew Brees and they didn't do it, and now they're sort of paying the price for that. Um, and you can tell they just don't have an answer at quarterback and don't have any means to get an answer at quarterback. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a bit of a sad one for New Orleans because they always were so good with Brees, but they're just a shadow of their former selves now. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Like I say, it's been a bit of a, a strange week this week. You know, it, it, I think you've summed it up right at the outset, Steve. You know, we're at the stage of the season now where we kind of know who the contenders are and who the pretenders really are. And there's a few franchises in tolerable situation to be. And I've certainly been there several times and, and I'm very much on the borderline of being there this season where you start looking ahead to, you know, the, the, the next season because this one's almost a lost venture um but we move on to week number 10 um and there's a few tasty games on the docket i think bill's vikings certainly stands out in the early window on sunday um obviously the vikings like we say seven and one the bills six and two plenty of teams nipping at the bills heels as we've discussed will josh allen playing that one yes or no um if he if he doesn't of course it's a case keenan revenge game i mean that's what we all really want to see isn't it um so that one will be a good one obviously we're in germany for the first time ever as well we mentioned that earlier will kenneth walker find a passport books and seahawks 2:30 uk time for that one um so we've got a full sunday afternoon of football fellas to look forward to packers cowboys and rams cardinals in the late window um probably games that certainly a few weeks ago you'd have been looking at and, and sort of you know licking your lips not necessarily what you probably thought they would have been at this stage now your eagles round off the week monday night football mate divisional game with the commanders um and a big one sunday oh excuse me I'm losing my voice big one sunday sunday night football hang on steve take over i've really lost my voice <laughs> big one sunday night football yeah and la charges at san francisco i think that's quite a big game that one um, I think you you could see some fireworks that one, but you you know you would probably would have picked the divisional LA battle to to be the big game, but actually I think that the, the Chargers represent more of a risk to San Francisco right now than the uh, than the Rams do. So I think that's a real interesting one. That that's a night for me. That's one of the games of the week. I think that and the, actually the Munich game. I think that Munich game is a real interesting one. And how those two teams have lined up. I think when it was announced, you sort of thought, oh god, that's going to be some easy Tampa win. But actually, I think that could be a real real interesting game. Probably one of the games the week yeah it will be um the books defense has been keeping them competitive hasn't it and we've talked earlier didn't we about how good the seahawks offense has been so yeah real good one in germany feels a bit bit unfair really doesn't it we've been having international games for the best part of what 10 15 years and we all seem to get duds and the first one in germany seems to be a bit of a cracker but there you go <laughs> that's the way these things work out isn't it We'll be back next Monday. Um, different combination in all likelihood, but you know, between us, we will get a crew together. James, been a pleasure having you back on, mate. Nice to catch up. Um, your Steelers got the Saints this week, so um, yeah, we have a chance, but we'd, we'd yeah. be better if we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, like I say, mate, good to catch up, and we will no doubt speak again throughout the course of the season. Until next week, though, keep everything full 10 yards. You'll have the Go For Two podcast, the power rankings, the betting advice, all of that good stuff coming throughout the week, as we usually do. We'll be back next week to review week 10. Until then, this has been the NFL Podcast, and we will see you soon. 